Happy birthday to the World Health Organization, a global health leader for 75 years. This is Pulse Check. I'm Catherine Ellen Foley. The Senate Health Committee plans to consider bipartisan drug pricing legislation affecting pharmacy benefit managers and generic drug manufacturers on April 19th. It's not clear what's in the bill. Lobbyists told Politico's Megan R. Wilson and David Lim that committee staffers are still writing the text. And world leaders remain divided on how to plan for the next pandemic. According to draft text of a pandemic treaty from the World Health Organization, countries in the global south are arguing for equal access to pandemic vaccines and treatments, while wealthier counterparts in the global north push back. Of note, the U.S. opposes language obligating it to provide medical technology to developing countries, insisting that technology transfers be voluntary or on mutually agreed-upon terms. The U.S. is also against language that says developing countries should have, quote, unhindered, unquote, access to pandemic products. And Ruth Reader is here to discuss how teens view social media platforms like TikTok and how the latest data show that in some ways their views align with the thinking of current congressional leaders. Thank you so much for having me. So you recently wrote about a survey on how teen girls feel about social media. What did it say? So the report is from Common Sense Media, which reviews on an age basis, like the appropriateness of TV shows and books and games and other online content. So this is sort of their field. And they sent Mm -hmm. out a survey to about 1,300 girls age 11 to 15 to find out what do they think about what they're seeing on social media. It was kind of really interesting because it echoes some of the concerns that lawmakers have made recently about content that could potentially affect youth mental health, Mm -hmm. right? Mm Mm-hmm. Some of the statistics that sort of stand out, one that was sort of interesting is around teens feeling really addicted to social media. They feel the most addicted to TikTok, uh, which should surprise no one because I think that there's been a lot of conversation around how TikTok is so sticky and so addictive. And teens are really feeling that. Almost half of them reported feeling like they use TikTok way more than they really intend to use it. Um, And to a lesser degree, that was also true for Instagram and Snap. Here's another one. Nearly 60% said that a stranger contacted them on Instagram or Snapchat in ways that felt really inappropriate and made them feel uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Most interesting to me in a lot of ways is that more than half of them that were surveyed agreed that kids under 13 really shouldn't have access at all to Snapchat, TikTok, or Instagram, which is something that uh, Surgeon General Vivek Murthy has said. and, And that has sort of been echoed by other Uh, lawmakers too. This idea that for kids under 13, maybe it's just a little too early to be on these platforms. And that last point you made is especially interesting because we are looking, the survey was looking at like 1,300 girls between the ages of 11 and 15, right? So it's sort of interesting to hear that even younger girls are saying, no, I I don't think I should be on this because, you know, I don't know about you, but when I was younger, I wanted to do what all the older kids were doing. And it's interesting, too, because they're having a little bit of their own sort of hindsight and a look at their own youth. So, like, what is it that these girls are experiencing that 
makes them feel like this is affecting their mental health. So we talked about sort of strangers contacting them online. That's gross. We don't like that, right? They don't yeah. like it either. <laughs> um, another thing that came up was about 41% of teens reported that they were exposed to suicide and self-harm related content on Instagram. And there was a similar percentage for TikTok, about 39%. That's a lot. That's a lot. And and that does seem like it could be super dangerous, especially if, you know, being a teenager is hard. If your own mental health, if teens' mental health isn't in a good place at that time. So this is the other piece. The other thing that the survey sort of gets at is that the teens who seem the most affected by this content are teens who are already experiencing um, depressive symptoms. Among girls with moderate or severe depressive symptoms, roughly seven in 10 who use Instagram and TikTok say they come across problematic suicide-related content at least monthly on these platforms. So that seems to suggest that if you are already experiencing those feelings and those symptoms is actually putting you at a higher risk of even seeing that kind of content, which is problematic. Lawmakers have been talking about the algorithm and the role that the algorithm plays. And I wonder if this is sort of like a, a backfire of the algorithm being too good. Do you think that could be what's going on? Algorithms have come up a lot recently, sort of in the discourse, we'll say, in the lawmaker and legal discourse. So right now there's a multi-district litigation suit in Northern California where lawyers are suing on behalf of kids whose mental health has been affected by these platforms. And the argument that they're making is that actually these algorithms are so potent, designed to addict, they're suing them on the basis of being faulty products, which is a really new idea and really interesting in this case. But that that idea is also being taken up by lawmakers. You know, there have been recent federal hearings where lawmakers have sort of wanted to talk both about youth mental health and also about these platforms. And this idea that, okay, maybe the algorithms are part of the problem rather than the content itself, which is something that is harder to go after these platforms for. Mm -hmm. But lawmakers and also now lawyers feel like, okay, maybe we can't get them on that. But maybe we can have a conversation around algorithms and whether these algorithms are right, mm. to your point, too good or, you know, a little flawed in how they deliver their content. I want to go back to some of those statistics that you were citing specifically about like how how teen girls are feeling about this. How does this recent survey and report fit into like the growing body of research. The double-edged sword of this, which is sort of funny, is that on the one hand, higher usage is sort of correlated to poor mental health outcomes. On the other hand, a very large portion of teen girls said that actually they get a lot of access to mental health content that's really good that they like, and that is helpful for them in sort of thinking through their own mental health problems. So when you think about like how a lot of kids don't have access to care, don't have access to therapists, mm -hmm. they're getting content on these platforms that is positive from a mental health perspective. So you kind of have to balance these two things. And in truth, you know, on the research side, we've also seen that as well, right? So one of the things that has been hard for researchers over the years is sort of like understanding sort of the benefits and negative impacts of social media because, you know, a lot of kids, especially kids who identify as 
part of like the LGBTQIA community, you know, they find like-minded individuals on these platforms that they might not have in their real life community. That's really positive, right? Mm-hmm. This report in light of sort of how research has evolved is that it does start to narrow in on areas where maybe, you know, to the point about lawmakers, lawmakers can start to say like, aha, like these are things that we can maybe create rules around. We can maybe make rules around design, for example, algorithms, even if changing the content itself is not directly possible or helpful even. So I thought Mm -hmm. that was really interesting. And I'm wondering, like, are there other ways that lawmakers have talked about regulating uh, these platforms besides, like, thinking about the algorithm? Several states have talked, and and actually we've even heard at, like, a federal level, there's been some discussion around banning social media for kids under 18 in some cases, kids under 13 in other cases. So there's a lot of conversation around, should we just, like, outright ban this, right? So one law that recently passed in Utah basically says that kids have to get parental consent um, to get a social media account and that social media Mm -hmm. platforms have to sort of abide by that and ensure that they're getting parental consent. And so children and teens in Utah have to get parental consent to get a social media account. Um, And the platforms have to ensure that they are both sort of age verifying and ensuring that the kids that are on their platform have their parents' consent to be there. And then Mm -hmm. the other piece of this rule that's sort of interesting is that the the law has curfews, um, no social media for anyone under 18 between 10.30 p.m. and 6.30 a.m. And they also open the door for parents to sue if they feel like these platforms have harmed their children. And those lawsuits are already taking place now, as I sort of discussed earlier. So, but this sort of enshrines that. And then another approach that I think is super, super interesting, which is sort of back to the algorithmic thing. California has designed the Age Appropriate Design Code Act. It sort of forces social media to think about how to design their products with kids in mind. So it's like, basically saying it's not enough to just verify their age or limit them or, you know, put in these sort of barriers that a lot of kids can sort of figure out their way around. We want you to be designing your platform in such a way that kids are not harmed in the ways that we're talking about so that kids with depressive symptoms are not seeing additional, you know, depressive content, self-harm content, things like that. Um, And that's a super interesting way of thinking about the laws that also sort of gets around this whole conversation around content, right? Because then it's not about what content is on the platform. It's much more about sort of how are you controlling the experience? I don't even know how you'd begin to enforce things like a curfew, though. That sounds like it would be like the next challenge. Kids are very good at getting around these sorts of rules. So I agree. It will probably be a big challenge. And that's our show. Our music is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Annie Reese and Afra Abdullah are our producers. Our healthcare team editors are Eli Reyes, Dan Goldberg, Barbara Van Tyne, Beth Belton, and Sean Zeller. Jenny Ament is the executive producer of audio at Politico. I'm Catherine Ellen Foley. 
Subscribe and follow Pulse Check for a new episode every day. And subscribe to our newsletters where you can read this reporting. Pulse, Future Pulse, and Prescription Pulse. Thanks for listening.